Well, good morning. Welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. Today, we are in part two of our series called Anchored. And in this series, it is rooted in the study of studying a certain letter in the Bible called Hebrews, which was written almost 2,000 years ago to Christ's followers who were Jewish, who had become Christ's followers, and it was written to them. Now, these Jewish Christ followers, they had left what was familiar to them, and they had exchanged their beliefs into Jesus and anchored themselves into him. And so they had left behind their foundation, their old anchors, and they had anchored themselves in a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, uh, some of these anchors, as Trent mentioned last week, some of these balloons represent some of the anchors that we can attach ourselves to and that they attach themselves to as well. And so some of these anchors are relationships. Uh, Some of the anchors that we anchor ourselves to are uh, religious beliefs or habits or uh, just uh, self-assurance or self, you know, we're going to do it on our own and everything and just the self-reliance that we have in ourselves. And then some of us have anchored ourselves to Christ, and we have exchanged these old familiar things for our relationship with Christ. Now, although these anchors over here of relationships, religious beliefs, habits, and self-reliance, they can feel pretty secure, um, we learn, can they really stand up against the tides and the storms of life? Uh, Can we find all of our needs in relationships? Or can those religious beliefs really secure us in our relationship with God? Or can those habits really bring satisfaction into our lives? Or can we really do it on our own? Now, last week we learned that these Christ followers would answer no. Uh, they, They aren't reliable. You can't rely on them. But yet, what we're gonna learn today is that they started to undergo persecution from the Romans and from the Jews themselves. And they started to wonder, they started to wonder if they should return or reconsider uh, their relationship with Christ and return back to what was familiar, some of these old familiar anchors. Now, wouldn't we do the same? I mean, if we came up against persecution and faced those tough times, wouldn't we reconsider our relationship with Christ and maybe return back to some of those anchors that were in our lives before that we built our lives upon? And so maybe some of you last week, if you heard Trent, you might be reconsidering your friendship with Trent. I mean, after last week, you know, we learned that several people had left the faith because of him. Uh, You might be reconsidering your friendship with Trent. In fact, uh, they're coming out with some new commercials. Don't be, you know, don't be a friend of Trent. You know, if you're a friend of Trent, bad things happen to you. You know, if you're a friend of Trent, you can't pop balloons on stage, you know. So if you're wondering what I'm talking about, you missed it last week. Really listen to the podcast as it was a great message, but it was also a little bit of fun uh, with Trent. But I can't poke fun of him too much. I have kind of my own story of uh, helping people to reconsider Christ uh, as well. So I'll share that with you. So uh, for me, Growing up, I was kind of considered that reliable kid, uh, that kid that everybody knew who was like that good kid. You know, everybody was friends with me and everything. And, uh, you know, they knew that I was a Christ follower. Well, once I got to high school, my friends, they just started to rag me for being a Christ follower. Uh, They assigned a nickname to me. It was Hebrew Jones. And so that was my nickname in high school. They said, hey, if you want to talk about God, go talk to Hebrew Jones right over there uh, because he knows all about God. 
And so, you know, they also said a lot of other things, things I can't repeat about being Hebrew Jones as well, uh, but I heard it all the time from my friends, but I still stuck with them as my friends. Now, here's one thing that I kind of had a leg up on them on. Uh, I was like the first amongst my peers to turn 16. And so um, I used that to my advantage. Uh, I said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? I'll pick you up. And, you know, not being able to drive, they were like, oh, absolutely. Get out of the house, you know, on the road. I'll come with you to your youth group. So I'd invite them to my youth group. And uh, pretty soon, I'd go pick them up in my uh, family's full-size van. And pretty soon, we had about a dozen teenagers in the van that I would take every week to youth group and then return them home as well. Well, one night after youth group, they said, hey, Tim, or hey, Hebrew Jones, stop by the Winn-Dixie Shopping Plaza. Some of the new girls have to use the restroom. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, we need to stop. You know, that would be a good thing. And some of you are thinking, a dozen teenagers in a full-size van stopping at a very crowded shopping center. Not a good idea. And you're right. So here's what happened. So me, just kind of going with the flow, I turn into this crowded shopping plaza, and I start to slow down so we can stop right in front of Winn-Dixie, and all of a sudden, I hear this laughter in the back of the van. And I look up in my rearview mirror, and behold, I see the moon. And I'm not talking about the moon that's like orbiting the earth. I see two little moons glued to the windows, pointing right at the front of Winn-Dixie, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And so I'm like, I got to do something. And the only thing I needed to do was, hey, I need to slam on the brakes and turn around and say, pull up your pants, you know? And so, you know, when you get kind of flustered and you kind of get angry, some things come out that you don't want to come out. Well, so I slam on the brakes and I turn around and I start yelling, pull down your pants, pull down your pants. (laughs) And everybody starts looking at each other and they're like, okay. So they start doing it. And I'm thinking, why are they doing that? You know, I'm telling them, pull up their pants. And so I'm like, I need to say it again. Pull down your pants. Pull down your pants. And so we got guys, girls. I mean, they're all, all of a sudden, we got 12 little moons orbiting this van. And all of a sudden, everybody in Winn-Dixie is like, what is going on here? You know? And one of my friends is like, Tim, got it, go. And so I take off. And some of them tumble and everything, (laughs) trying to get their pants back up. And uh, I'm like, what were you guys doing? And they said, who's this crazy Christian kid, you know, telling us to pull down their pants, you know? And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's what I was saying? They're like, yes. So fortunately, I got their grace. Uh, Fortunately, a little do-over there. Um, But they understood uh, what I was trying to say. But anyway, something else came out. But that's kind of where I want to land a little bit in terms of, you know, what is it in our lives that make us reconsider our anchor in Jesus and how often it is easy to return back to the familiar or look back to the familiar. And so I want a little audience participation. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask or yell at you to do something, but (laughs) just need some answers to this question. Just one word answer. So here's the questions I have for us. Why do we return to the familiar, you know? What does it have to offer? So why do we return to the familiar? What does it have to offer? So just one word answers. What does it? Security, what else? Comfort. It's easier. What else? What was that? Comfortable, yep. 
We think God is taking too long. Yeah, you're right. And those are great answers. And we often return back to the familiar because of security, because of worth. You know, when we look at our relationships that we're tempted to go back to, it's because they offered some amount of worth. When we return back to our religious beliefs, we think that they offer some type of security that we can, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's and we can be in control. Or we often return back to the habits because at some level they bring some part of satisfaction or happiness in our lives. Or when we think that we can do it on our own, we take that because at least we don't have to depend on others or we don't have to depend on God and we can make it happen. But all of us, we've been here and we know that the familiar eventually lets us down. So if we know that, then why do we go back to the familiar? You know, what can be done instead. And that's what I'm excited about today. Today, we're going to examine that there is something else that we can do. There's two questions that I want us to explore today in this message that are so vital for us to understand why we can be secure in Jesus. And so the first question that I want us to focus on is what security is found in Jesus? If we don't know what security is found in Jesus, then it's so easy to return to the familiar. And then the second question that I want to answer is, how do I stop returning to the familiar? And so is there something that we can do so that we do not return back to the familiar? And instead, when life storms come our way, we secure ourselves instead to Jesus. Now, if you are not a Christ follower and you're checking out this whole God thing, I am super excited that you are here because as we explore these two questions, you're going to find out why people become Christ followers. You're also going to see the uh, anchor and the reason that we can be secure in Jesus as well. And so as you listen, you know, as you decide you know, of what you want to do with Christ. And it can be whenever you want to decide about Christ. But as you listen, you will hear God's heartbeat for everyone. And then you can decide for yourself. And the reason I'm also excited that you're here today is often there's this belief that you have to have everything figured out in order to become a Christ follower. And that's not true. You know, it's about exchanging one belief for another belief or one anchor for another anchor. We do it all the time in our culture. And so when you can come to learn that you can trust Jesus, then you can come to learn that you can trust him with the other anchors that are in your life. And so I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad everyone is here. And so we're going to have some exciting times as we go through the book of Hebrews. So if you would, take out your Bibles, take out your smartphones, and turn to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 15 in your Bibles or your smartphone devices. If you don't have a Bible, you feel free to always grab one in the back. It's our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. Um, if you're looking for Hebrews, it is the fifth book from the very end. So just flip back about five books and you'll find it in Hebrews. So go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 15, and I'll give you a minute to get there. So as you turn there, let me set some important things. Let me set the scene of what is happening when this letter is written in about 60 to 65 A.D., 
So at the time, there were many people becoming Christ followers. And the reason that they were becoming Christ followers is that there were firsthand eyewitnesses in the disciples and then many others who were saying that they had seen Jesus come back to life. They, had saw, they saw him die. They saw him come back to life. And so many of the people, they started to believe uh, these guys and they started to put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of, your, of their sins. And the Romans at the time, they started to not like all these people becoming Christ followers. And the reason they didn't like this is all of a sudden they had these new Christ followers who were starting to uh, stop buying the idols at the local idol fill-up stations across the byways and highways of Roman. They also stopped purchasing tickets to the Colosseum and to the Roman holy sites. And they started to stop uh, using the temple prostitutes at all of these temples. And so business was going down. It was not a good thing for the Romans. And and so they all of a sudden pressed in. They made sure that, hey, we need to turn up the heat on these Christ followers because we do not like what is happening. And so many of these Jewish Christ followers, they didn't know what to do. They had heard that Jesus was coming back. When he ascended to heaven, they said that Jesus said he was going to come back. So when was he going to come back? Was he going to come back and rescue them amongst this persecution from the Romans and even the Jews as well? And so at that point, as they're waiting, they start to reconsider. And they start to reconsider and go back to the things that were familiar to them. Because Judaism offered at least present leaders, leaders who were right there and could, could potentially protect them from the Romans. Judaism at least offered some uh, systems and processes to find out if they were doing the right thing to hear from God. You know, Judaism at least offered you know, the temple, which was everything that represented God's presence and they could draw near to it physically. And so why not return to the familiar? And so the writer of Hebrews gets really specific to their fears. And he writes some very important things. And God uses these words to encourage these Jewish Christ followers and speak some very personal things into them. And if we hear these words today, God can also speak some very personal things that he wants you to know as well in the midst of storms. And so let's check that out. Let's dive into Hebrews chapter 17, verse 15. Um, here the writer has already taken like three chapters to explain some things that are going on. And he comes to this conclusion with some powerful statements. At first, it's going like, to sound a little weird for us because it's like, man, we're not familiar with all these practices and everything. But as we unfold them, you're, it's going to be easy to understand. And so let's see. He starts out with kind of a big bang. He starts out with saying, hey, this is why Jesus is our anchor. And so he starts there. Verse 15. This change, referring to how God relates to his people, has been made very clear since a different priest, that's Jesus, who is like Melchizedek, has appeared. Now, Melchizedek was a priest of God before God instituted priests and sacrifices and the temple. And the writer is indicating that something was lacking with this system, uh, Jesus had came from a priestly line that was greater than what was going on because they needed to say, well, why is Jesus better than these things? And so right away, we're going to see why Jesus um, became a priest and separates him from anyone else. Verse 16, 
Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, and this is what we anchor ourselves into, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Translated another way, an indestructible life. Verse 17, and the psalmist, that's David, pointed this out when he prophesied a thousand years earlier about the Messiah. He said about the Messiah, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so that's why Jesus can lay claim to being a priest, which they needed to hear. So the reason we can find our security, though, in Jesus and anchor our lives to him is because of what he did in history. Jesus died. He came back to life. It wasn't something, it was something that happened. It wasn't an event. And the reason that Jesus came back was to show that he had power over sin and death and that he could forgive us of our sins. See, if Jesus didn't come back to life, then Christianity is nothing. And even one of Jesus's earlier followers wrote about this. Paul wrote about this. Listen in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Now, some of you are like, well, you know, how do we know he came back to life? All right, how do we know that? Now, most of the letters in the Bible in the New Testament are from firsthand eyewitnesses of these things. And let's just take Paul, for example, okay? Paul was a former Jewish religious leader. And when this Jesus thing started up, he started going around persecuting the Christ followers and having them put to death. And after Jesus returns to heaven, he is very busy in terms of going around and persecuting these Christ followers because they had left Judaism. And then one day, he has a personal encounter with the risen Savior, and it changes his life. Listen to what he says in one of his letters about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. So Paul who was out there killing Christ followers becomes a Christ follower himself. Now, that made absolutely no sense. This guy was like on his way up through the ranks of being a Jewish leader. He was going to probably most likely like be the top dog one day. Why would he leave all of that for Christ, for people who are persecuting these Christians, putting them to death? And the reason that we know it is true is because he risked his life. There are multiple times that he was beaten, almost beaten to death two times. One time being stoned, 
one time being severely beaten. He eventually risked his life to go and spread around the Mediterranean Sea Christianity and tell people that he had seen someone die and that he saw someone come back to life and he was shipwrecked and almost lost his life in a horrible storm. Then he was bitten by a poisonous snake and God miraculously heals him and people are like, what is that? That is amazing. And he continues to tell people about Christ. So much so that the Romans take notice of him and eventually they put him to death for standing up and not staying quiet about Jesus. And many of the firsthand eyewitnesses also lost their lives. Why would these people risk their lives? And it was because they saw something. They saw a man die, they saw him come back to life, and they could not stay quiet because history has to be told. And they continued to tell it so that eventually everyone, eventually us, would know that as well. That's why the writer is so passionate of saying, hey, your anchor is in Christ. And something happened. It was an event in history. So that's why he starts out with that. Then he continues on. Let's see what else he focuses on. Now he shifts his focus. And he focuses on why returning to the familiar in the old system doesn't work. Verse 18 Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood, the sacrifices, the temple, was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect, but now we have confidence and a better hope through which we draw near to God. So the, rem- the writer reminds his friends, hey, you remember under the old system, you know, the priests of Israel, they had to make sacrifices for themselves because they were not perfect. They had to make sacrifices for everyone else. And it was God's way so that people could receive forgiveness for their sins because sin costs something. It costs a life. And in that old system, they had to continue to repeat these sacrifices over and over again each time that they sinned. And yet God honored these kind of inadequate methods because he would have a promise that one day he would provide a solution uh, to complete what these priests could not complete themselves, that he would eradicate sin once and for all for everyone. And so now the writer sets this up and he's going to tell us about this promise, tell us about this solution to everything. Verse 20, this new system was established with a solemn oath, a promise. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. So the old system without an oath, but there was an oath regarding Jesus for God. The father said to Jesus before Jesus came here, he said, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever because of this oath. Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Now, why is Jesus better? And listen to this. The oath that God made to send his son, it was to become the final priest. It was to become the final sacrifice. Because with our sin, something had to be done. And Jesus sends himself. God the Father sends his son. And he says, I will become the final sacrifice for everyone. And so I will offer myself. And his sacrifice completely forgives us of our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. 
if you put your faith in him. So Jesus opened up a permanent way for people to come in and to have their sins forgiven once and for all. And so anyone who desires to become uh, a part of God's family can do so. And when you become part of God's family, um, here's what happens. You know, we wonder if we have this security with God, and we do. When you become part of God's family, it's not a question of, are we secure with him? You're secure with him. When you fail, when you mess up, and we will, God doesn't say, oh, he's out, you know, no longer part of my family, you know. He'd be breaking his promise if he did that. You know, when we go through life storms and we think, is God really there? He is there. He is, he paid the ultimate price to be there with us. That's how much he loves us. That's how personal he is. And that's what he wants to do because Jesus paid the price for everyone. And so if you put your faith in Jesus, then you can be assured that you have a solid anchor with God. And so the writer kind of continues to change gears here. He says, you know what? You want to talk about personal? Let's get personal. So he continues on. He says in verse 23, there were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him He lives forever, interceding with God on their behalf, on our behalf, on anyone to come in the future's behalf. Verse 26, he is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Now that is amazing. I mean, that sounds like, wow, God, you are powerful. Jesus, you are above all things. I cannot believe that. But yet there's a part of me, and I think there's a part of you that says, you know what? Can I really be in touch with Jesus? Is Jesus really in touch with us? You know, I mean, it seems like he's just way out there. Can he really understand what we're going through today? Can he really help me in my situation? Now remember um, this, before Jesus died on the cross, he lived for 30 years and he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. But yet it's true that he never sinned, but yet he faced temptation more than we will ever know. And he never caved in. Like we cave in. When the pressure starts coming, when the pressures of life start coming, I mean, we cave in. And so here's what Jesus did for us. Let me give you an example here. So in the movie, I don't know if you saw the movie Broken with the prisoners of war. The, two, the guys get captured and um, he's, he's in prison. He's a POW. The enemy wants him to do this broadcast. He's got this one friend and they are torturing them to do this broadcast to tell you know, all their friends, hey, give up. You know, the Japanese are better. They're gonna do all these things. And um, the one friend after about two months, caves in. I mean, he's had it and does the radio broadcast. The other guy, after two months, doesn't cave in. And he goes on for years and years, never caving in. 
And so both of them understand what it is to be human and to be weak and to be tortured and face pressures and insurmountable odds. But yet the one who never caves in understands the full extent of pressure, the full extent of temptation, the full extent of what it means to be weak and frail as you face these hardships. That's exactly what Jesus experienced for us. He never caved in to temptation. He never caved in to the pressures of the day. He never caved in to rejection. And even at the end, when he faced abandonment by our Heavenly Father because he became sin and in that moment was separated from his Heavenly Father who he had always known, he withstood that. And so if you're wondering, can Jesus really understand exactly where we are at? He can, because no one has ever suffered more. No one deserved it less. And no one had the ability to fight back and to do something, but yet he did nothing except for lay down his life as a sacrifice for us, for you, for me. So he understands exactly what we are going through. And you can be sure that when you're going through those storms of life, which we will, that you can anchor yourself to Jesus and be sure that he hears you. So the writer, he continues on and he kind of finalizes this passage with something powerful and it's kind of uncovered. So let me get there. Um, He kind of says, hey, here's what happens when all of these things fail. And listen to what happened in history. So verse 27, unlike those high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day at a certain time, in a specific way, at a specific temple. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Do you know what we long for? We long for security. Do you know what we want? We want God to be in our corner, and he is. He is so personal and he, his timing is so perfect. Do you realize back then when this letter was written to the Jewish Christ followers um, that not long after this letter was written that the temple, which was the center of Judaism, which was what God had set up, was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. The Romans destroyed the temple. To them, their religion. To them, their God. And they were devastated. They didn't know what to do. But see, Jesus, before he died, he said multiple times to them, hey, I have come to replace the temple. You will no longer need a physical temple. You can worship God through me. And I and the Father are one and the same. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so you can be confident that I will never leave you no matter what happens. You can never be separated. I will always be with you when you put your faith and trust in me. I will always be an anchor 
for you. Now, isn't that amazing? I mean, when you think about that, isn't that amazing that God would want us to know those things so specifically? Some of you today, you know, you you hear that and you say, I never knew that I had such an anchor in Christ today. You know, some of you, you needed to hear today that Jesus was the final sacrifice for your sins. For some of you, you needed to hear today that no matter what life storms that you are going through, that Jesus is right there and he hears you when you cry out. He will never turn his back from you. For some of you, you needed to hear today and see that God made a promise a promise to send his son so that we would have hope in the midst of destruction. That's how much he loves us. We don't have to return to the familiar because we can find our security in Jesus. And so I don't know where you're at today. And some of you are asking the question, well, you know, how do I not return back to the familiar? Because that is tough. And I know that's tough every single day. And here's what God provides. He provides a practice that we can practice every single day to strengthen our grip on Jesus, to strengthen our grip on the anchor. And it's just simply gratitude. When we verbalize to God that we are thankful for what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing in our lives, it takes our eyes off of the familiar and puts our eyes on the one who is with us today. And so you can do that anytime. You can do that when you get up in the morning and you pray to God in the morning. You can thank him in the morning as you're reading God's word and you learn something new. You can thank him for that. And each time you do that, you're strengthening your grip on Jesus. When you worship him, you are thanking him and you are strengthening your grip. When you sing praises, when we sing together, you are focused on him and you are giving him gratitude and thankfulness and you're taking your eyes off of your problems for today and you're putting your eyes on Jesus who can get you through those storms. When you all of a sudden worship God through gratitude by verbalizing that on a regular basis, then you have found a security in Christ that can help you in the midst of the storms. And so that's what we need to exchange our lives to do, to focus on. And so when all of a sudden you're tempted to go back to that relationship that seems to be like, hey, there's some security in that relationship, instead you can thank God and say, God, you know what, thank you for providing and thinking so much of me in such a personal way that you filled that void. God, when instead of going back to those religious beliefs that I have to do something, I have to work for your approval, instead, Jesus, you finished everything. You were the final sacrifice. You were the final high priest. You were the final temple. My relationship with you is permanent. When all of a sudden you go back to that habit thinking that you're going to find satisfaction in drugs or sex or whatever it is that you're struggling with, instead you can say, I have found true satisfaction in the one who fought for me. Or when you all of a sudden, you know, go back to these things and say, I can do it on my own. And yet he has done so much for us and will continue to do so much on our behalf. So in those moments, we thank him. Now, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're in one of those storms. Maybe today, it would be a good time to start practicing gratitude and thanking him. For some of you, maybe things are going well, you know? Well, we can always strengthen our grip on Christ by thanking him. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to practice just saying thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, what you are going to do on my behalf. And so if there's something that he spoke to you personally about, thank him for that. 
Thank him. Latch on to that and say, Jesus, God, thank you for doing that for me. Thank you for speaking into my life today. Now, some of you who are not Christ followers, maybe it just kind of dawned on you. You're like, wow, I get that. I get that he can be my anchor. And so today, make him your anchor. When I pray, I'm going to carve out a time where you can put your faith, you can put your trust, you can put your anchor on this side in Christ. And I'll just say some simple words like, God, thank you for sending your son. And you just say that to him. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for coming back to life to show that you can forgive sins. Will you forgive my sins? Will you become my anchor, my savior? Would you become my God, so I can be part of your family. And so we just need those reminders. And during the prayer, if you're like, man, I need to be practicing this on a more regular basis, take out your phone, set a reminder for every hour and start to practice gratitude and thank him for being your anchor, your final sacrifice and your savior. And then we're gonna sing a song called Anchor, And I just want us to start practicing. I want us to focus on the words and sing them to God and thank him and give him everything that we've got. And so let's go ahead and close out in prayer. If you would, would you stand uh, as we close out in a word of prayer and then we'll sing this one final song. So Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus, it's amazing that you would come when we turn our backs on you so much. Father, thank you for doing what we could not do, which is to secure our past, our present, and our future with the death of your son. We never have to doubt because you made an oath, you made a promise, and you keep your promises. Even when the storms come, God, you are there. You are there in the storms. You are in the good times. You are in every time. And so we can praise you in any of those moments. If you are not a Christ follower and today, you're like, you know what? I want to become one. Just say these things simply to God. Pray this to him. Just say, Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that you came back to life. There's so many people who risked their life and gave their life to tell that. So Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you become my anchor, my savior, my God? Thank you for making me part of your family. And Father, we just lift our voices to you right now. I know you've spoken to so many here, and we just give you praise, and we just say thank you in this moment. So take the time to thank him for what you needed to hear today. And Father, we are ready to sing to you and show our gratitude to you. Thank you for doing what only you could do In Jesus' name, amen.